Welcome to China Tech Talk, the almost weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I am John Artman, Editor-in-Chief of Technode.com, joined as always by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. So this episode is a little bit different than what we usually do. Matt and I have been trading WeChat messages over the weekend about kind of what's been going on between the U.S. and with China. I recently published our our weekly newsletter about some of the trade tensions, but uh, actually consciously ignored the Huawei situation. I wrote it and we published it before what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, what's going on between China and the U.S. is pretty crazy right now. And so Matt and I were thinking we'll just do a relatively short episode taking a look at what's happening with Huawei, in particular, what's happening with them and the United States government, and then, of course, with uh, with the recent announcement from from Google. So Matt, I mean like what do what do we know what do we know so far? Yeah, um well, it's been a rapid escalation of this situation and it's you're you're totally right John. Uh, uh we were trading messages before and I was saying, you know, it seemed to be implied that Huawei might have some problem using Android, but we weren't totally clear and then just yesterday news broke that you know google is actually you know cutting off android from huawei or a certain certain part of android not all of android right and and this has huge implications i mean this is a uh, one of the biggest changes in mobile uh, that we could possibly envision <laughs> because huawei is uh, one of the largest handset manufacturers in the world right and it has a and, and a very large part of their market is in china of course um but outside, they're very popular in Europe, and they're very popular in, uh, you know, across Southeast Asia and uh, markets. You know, they have share across all different kinds of global markets. Actually, U.S. is one of the, you know, the market where they where they don't really have much market share. But it seems to be that from this new development, it's a little bit unclear. But it seems that Google um, is for Android services. They're not allowing the due to due to this new. Uh, regulation from the U.S. government that they're not allowed to uh, to give Huawei access to that, which means you know Huawei basically it's it's going to have very very serious implications for them outside China. Yeah. So so a bit of background. So you know if we look at the development of Android from the very beginning, Android was meant to be uh, open source. It was meant to be uh, freely available for for anyone to to use and to fork and to change. To skin, to to customize, and all this stuff. The issue was, you know, back in the back in 2010, 2011, as Android was gaining in popularity, especially among uh, Chinese handset makers, that there was a lot of fragmentation. And so, what uh, what Google did was they created an agreement that if if as a handset maker you want early access, let's call it, to security updates, to operating system updates, and to basically anything anything else that might happen with the core code, that if you wanted early access to that, then you would need to sign an agreement and and pay pay a licensing fee. Uh, now there is something called the Android Open Source Project, which, and so basically, what happens is Google makes an update. They give that update to their partners who have signed this agreement, and then, uh, and then a few months later, 
giving you know partners and handset makers who've signed the agreement a bit of lead time. They release the new version uh, to to the public, which is completely open source and anyone can use it. Uh, and so, if we look at what's what's going on uh, with with Google and Huawei, basically what they're saying is that number one. Huawei is only going to have access to the Android open source project. They can no longer have access to the early access, as it were, or uh, before the public release. And Huawei devices are not going to have any Google Play services. So what that means, in, in China, obviously, Google Play services don't exist. If you buy an Android phone here in China... It's none of the phones are going to come with anything that has Google on it. Basically, the Chinese government does not allow uh, that that to happen. And so, if we look at app stores, for example, it's it's a very very fragmented market. There's lots of different applications out there for different things. But outside of China, Google Play services uh, is extremely popular, uh, and it's used on the back end for so many different applications. And so, we're not just talking about you know Google Maps. Gmail and whatever else, uh, YouTube or whatever other products that uh, Google might uh, be providing, but also it provides developers, application developers to the Google services backend. So it connects a lot of things on the backend, uh, data services, advertisement services, and uh, location services, so many different things. So basically what's, what's going to happen with, with Huawei is that again, not only Will they be getting Android updates late? So after basically everyone else, but they're also any any handset outside of China is not going to have access to uh, to Google Play services. And so this is kind of one of my big big questions here. And Matt, you know, you have some 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 uh, some Huawei hardware. So if Huawei phones no longer can carry Google Play services, can no longer carry Google apps, is their hardware a big enough differentiator? For consumers to actually want to purchase, you know, like if they're thinking about buying an Android phone, and they have uh, the option of a Samsung or or a, a Huawei or or a Xiaomi, you know, is Huawei's hardware a big enough, like a big enough draw for people to actually buy it if it doesn't have Google stuff on it? No, <laughs> no way, <laughs> right? If you're choosing between Google uh, having the latest, best, and 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 Google stuff that's working well. You know, YouTube's huge. Uh, Gmail's huge. Google Search is, you know, these services. And then the Play Store, the Play Store itself, everybody uses the Play Store, right? It's, uh, if you're a, if you're an Android user. So the description that you just uh, gave out of uh, the situation in China. So to clarify for listeners, I actually, you know, I have a Huawei phone and that's what I use. Uh, and it's a Huawei Mate 9, if I remember correctly. And, Within China, it's totally correct. You, you use the; they have a flavor of Androids that's uh, you know different. It's 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 tailored towards Huawei devices, and, and all of the handset manufacturers for Android do this in China. Like Xiaomi has their version, and yeah, so you use the Huawei App Store. You don't use the Google Play App Store, and you don't use Google Play at all. Don't you don't use any 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 Google services on my phone unless I leave unless I leave China. So I actually have a folder of. Apps, you know, when I switch out into outside China, then I'll stop using Google Play. So actually, um, for me personally, this this could affect the, my choice of phone, right? If if actually I can't, if the experience of using Google Play and Google Apps and and services becomes significantly affected by these things, then by this by this new development, then probably I'll change my phone. You know, I won't use a Huawei anymore. Google 
Google services are really important, I think. And consumers won't want to buy a phone that's that's crippled in that way. Is my is my gut feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so the thing is, you know, Huawei Huawei is saying so so number one, so the Department of Commerce has actually walked back some of the the stipulations in in the ban itself. Uh and so what what they're what they made clear just uh today or yesterday was that this only applies to new products or new business lines. And so if the US if US companies have current customers uh, that rely on some of their technology for current for their current customers or products, then U.S. companies can can keep doing business with them. Now the issue is uh, new products and and new services, and so anyone who has a Huawei device is not going to be affected. The only issue is whether or not they will be affected when they buy a new device. Huawei has said that they have stockpiles of devices that they've already made. So it's unclear, okay, well, can those still come with Google? It seems like they're, they are implying that. Uh, and also Huawei has said that they, they have been uh, developing their own mobile operating system. Uh, supposedly it's called Hongmeng OS, and so I think that the Chinese is Red Dream <laughs> operating system. It's been rumored to be in development since, uh, since 2012. There was a time where a former Apple... Uh, UI designer was working in in Huawei headquarters, but she was only there for a relatively short period of time. Basically, it looked like you know Huawei wanted to uh, copy the iOS UI, and so she wasn't very satisfied with that. Also, Huawei can be a very difficult company to work for as as a foreigner, and so the big the big question there is you know. Is this Hongmeng OS? Is it really an operating system, or is it just another version of of Android? Right, and so because to create an operating system, it's really difficult. And you know, Huawei they really focus on their their core strength is hardware. You, you look you look at all th- all three of their their main business lines. It's telecommunications equipment. It's enterprise IT equipment, so routers and switches, basically, and then it's consumer hardware, so uh, smartphones and and kind of the other like wearables and all the all all the other kind of peripheral devices. They also have a sub brand that does a lot of other kind of consumer technology, uh, routers, uh, smart uh, smart home tech, and 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 things like that. But you know they don't really do they don't really do software, and so when it comes to the operating system, I'm very skeptical. And again, we don't know. We don't actually know what the operating system is. But I'm skeptical that it is something that's completely homegrown. Either it, either it's a fork of Android or it's a mobile version of Linux. Is is my sense? Yep, totally, totally. And that's a great point that you made. You know, hardware companies are usually bad at software and vice versa. Um, not always, but it's difficult to do both well. And you're totally right. Huawei is is basically a hard, hardware company, and I completely agree. Creating a a good operating system of the level that people have become accustomed to with iOS and Android, which are very developed. You know, got years and years of of tweaking and ironing out all the bugs and creating a really great user experience. And uh, developers are really familiar with those two platforms. They've got really strong developer ecosystems. And now, so for sure, it's going to be a fork of something, I feel. Like building an OS from scratch that's good, um, my understanding, I, I did speak to people about this years ago, 
with relation to um, mini programs, actually, because that's also kind of like an OS, essentially. It's it's a new platform. And, and so at the time, I remember people, developers who knew a lot more about me about this area were saying, you know, how difficult it was to build an OS. And, and like, that's a really uh, a good one anyway. And, and it's real, you know, uh, technical challenge, uh, even for a company like Google to produce something that uh, as uh, like Android is, is challenging. You know how exactly challenging that is. I I, I don't have the technical uh, knowledge to 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 elaborate further. But my gut feeling is this will be a fork. Uh, but the the real issue is that when you develop a new operating system, okay, let's say they've got this operating system, they rolled it out, and it's actually fine. It's good. Um, it's 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 a nice user experience, and and it's not too too much of a disruption to the mobile phone experience that were there that. Huawei users are used to with, with Android. Now they've got to get all the developers to develop for, for this new operating system. And that's going to be a major challenge, right? Um, it's already for developers. I think for the large developers, when you look at the Facebooks, uh, when you look at the, the biggest names and the most popular apps, they're going to have the resources and teams to develop Huawei-specific versions of their applications fairly fairly rapidly. And so they can probably build out that, you know, the most popular apps will will build out their versions for Huawei pretty quickly. But that long tail of like medium and small apps, uh, which really make up by far the most majority of, of apps out there and, and contribute significantly to the experience of using Android or iOS, you know, a, part, a big part of why uh, this market lends itself to just one or two players is because... You know, developing across different different operating systems is for businesses, for brands, for developers, uh, for mo- for mobile development teams. You know, that's a cost, and you're only really going to invest in the biggest platforms. And you don't really not there's not too many people who have resources to actually build out across all the sort of long tail of smaller platforms. Before there used to be Symbian, I mean, back in the day, uh, Nokia and also Samsung and, and the other handset manufacturers, Symbian used to be the the major mobile operating system that people used to develop for. Now, over time, that kind of got phased out as with the rise of of, of Android and, and and truly smartphones. But there's not too many, you know, niche players like Windows or, or even BlackBerry back in the day. They kind of tend to get pushed out and. And when people develop for those sort of um, niche platforms, the the apps they tend to develop for tend to be you know not as good basically and and and, and a bit buggy. So in the short term, uh, this, this is a real challenge for Huawei. They're going to lose a lot of the the Huawei App Store when it opens up on day one. You know how many apps is it really going to have in it, and is that going to be a compelling proposition for for mobile users? Well, well, exactly, and you know, I remember Windows Phone. My 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 wife at the time, one of her coworkers had one, and she was like, "Oh, I gotta get one," and then she didn't like it, so I started using it, and the apps were were horrible. It was just super super underdeveloped. And you think even even the the ecosystem, the developer ecosystem these days, you know, a lot of times they really only focus on building out for one one operating system. And then once they get that going, they they will maybe think about doing a port uh, for for another system. And in particular, a lot of developers, you know, they they just they, again they just choose one and go with that. So, for example, some developers choose to only release on Android, 
Some choose to only release on on iOS, and iOS tends to uh, attract more, let's say, higher quality applications uh, and and sticks to iOS. Uh, whereas Android tends to be a bit more kind of like lower quality, very very open types of apps that you're only going to see on, on on that platform, mostly because the the restrictions on what can be on the Google Play Store or just developed for Android in general, uh, it's a bit looser, and so it's really hard to see how you can create. I mean, exactly what you were saying, Matt. How how can you create a robust application ecosystem? Because basically. There's no point in having a smartphone if there's no applications. Uh, the applications make the smartphone, which is really kind of funny because you know when, you know when when the iPhone first came out, you know Steve Jobs famously was like, "Nope, we're never having any third parties. No third party can develop for our phones. It's going to completely screw things up. We can't give them access." And of course, eventually they did, and it was an amazing success. And one of the reasons that that iPhone has done so well is is that Apple is able to get so much revenue from from the the App Store. So I think there's there's some really kind of other interesting things to talk about here uh, outside of Huawei. Um, Matt, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about specifically about this? And kind of want to look at some 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 of the broader picture stuff. I could. What what would Huawei do to actually get around this? I could see them. You know, paying developers to actually build versions, or like helping them to actually providing services that make it easy to port your Android app over to new to to actually provide some kind of service that automates that, where you could somehow take your Android app and you know pay for it to be quickly ported over into the Huawei system. Maybe they'll go with that. I mean, the interesting thing is over the past two years with WeChat, we've, we've seen how difficult with many programs, how difficult it is to build a developer ecosystem. I mean, it really does take time. Even if you try and make it as easy as possible and you provide incentives. And then for the Huawei users, if, if you're a developer, you know, you're thinking, okay, should I build for Huawei? Most of Huawei's users are in China. And in China, this doesn't, you don't need to develop a Huawei version, right? right? You can still use Android. So now the if you the only reason you would build for Huawei's new OS is to reach Huawei users outside China. So it's actually even less of a compelling sort of like pool of users than you would initially think because you're not even doing this to reach the China users. You're only doing it to reach the Huawei users outside China. So it's um it's a tricky one for them. Yeah, uh, I think they're caught. You know, I'd be interested. To, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. Yeah, I mean, again, this is this this kind of you know reinforces my idea about you know that their OS is just is just a flavor of Android somehow because you know the easiest thing in the world, and I, I don't know the laws and regulations uh, you know outside of China, but one of the reasons that you know that app stores in China work well, or at least when I was uh, using an Android phone, is that a lot of times, you know, these these uh, the app stores themselves or or maybe even users will will upload APKs from you know they would they would find the APK file, so the application installation file for Android, and then upload it without developer permission or even knowledge to uh, to the Chinese to a Chinese uh, app store, and which was great because there was a few times for whatever reason i didn't i couldn't i couldn't use google play but i but i was able to use uh 
uh, a different uh, app store, maybe like the Xiaomi app store or uh, Wando Jia even, which you know isn't that big of a player anymore. But um, it was great because I could I could find international international versions of of applications, and so I mean the easiest way to populate any application ecosystem is to do exactly that is just to take the APKs and and load them up. And again, I don't know if that's if that's legally if that's a, it's a viable way to do it, but certainly you know in China at least it has been done. So um, so that that is that is one that is one possibility. But I guess you know there are some really kind of interesting bigger questions uh, going on here, and so. The first one, the first question I think is is really kind of like, okay, so we're in the middle of all this. This is, you know, this 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 broke over the weekend. There's still is still information coming out, but what actually is is going to happen is my biggest question. So if we look at kind of what's been going on specifically with this ban, you know, it's it it's extremely harsh. Uh, it's extremely uh, binary, or at least it's positioned as very binary. But then we're also seeing the Department of Commerce actually walk things back. And so now I'm starting to think, okay, wait a second. This is actually Donald Trump's classic negotiating tactic, where he'll he'll come in with this like ridiculous demand or demands that are almost almost impossible to meet. And then as the negotiations uh, go on, you know, he'll kind of pull back and say, no, 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 it's okay. So actually that, that thing that I was going kind of crazy about, you know, maybe we can loosen that up or maybe we don't even need it. And then, and then actually he gets, he actually ends up getting close to what he wants because he started off so high. Uh, basically it's, uh, it's, you know, anchoring people to a, to a high demand. That way you can actually get them much, much closer to what you actually want rather than starting at what you do want and then not really coming, coming close to that. So I do kind of wonder. You know, we saw something similar with ZTE, right? Where uh, the ZTE death sentence basically uh, was was completely taken away, uh, and ZTE was hit pretty hard. They were they were in for a month or two of really hard times, and everyone was like, "Well, they're just dead," basically. But then, you know, Donald Trump was able to use, and the the, the White House was able to use it as a bargaining chip and saying, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we can agree on some things." And uh, now that we agree on some things, okay, ZTE is okay. Just don't do it again. Uh, and so I'm kind of wondering if this is kind of similar similar with uh, with Huawei, uh, but I don't know because I mean Huawei has been this 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 locus of attention and and pressure for for some time that it could just be one of those things where you know the White House just says you know this is super serious and we're not going to back down on it at all. Yeah, you're totally right, John. This could all be speculation. Um, we could be just seeing this go um, the U.S. side take a different stance or clarify and and go back from what we our understanding of what this is today. You know, could be quite different, and so that's why today's episode is really a hot take. I feel it's uh, you know we're just we feel this is serious news. Um, it's if if things are going to play out the way it seems to be today, this will be major disruption to the whole mobile ecosystem globally benefiting you know it's going to have major implications for samsung you know positive implications for them uh, it's going to have implications for apple apple's in a very tricky place right now because <laughs> um they're target number one for retaliation uh from the chinese side and we if 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 this does play out and huawei's overseas business is seriously affected by this then we i think we can expect some type of retaliation in terms of what apple is able to do in china and you know china's a significant market for apple um it's not it's a 
they've been very successful here. So it's going to really hurt them, I think, if if that retaliation is is taken against them. Yeah, um, they're already in a precarious situation as it is. This, you know, this could be a turning point. I think that's why we wanted to record this. Is like I feel right now, mm-hmm. um, we've crossed the Rubicon, <laughs> as 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 it were. <laughs> you know, this is uh this is different from before. Even just a few days ago, the Economist magazine put out you know a special on 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 the Chinese U.S. relationship, calling it a Cold War mm. now. And I think there's consensus building that this is turning from a trade war into into a cold war and we could look back in the future on may 2019 being a turning point in the relations in in global relations between china and the us huawei's at the center of this technology's at the center of this we don't usually cover yeah. politics on this on this podcast and we do try and stay away from it and because Neither of us are experts, and we feel that's you know that's really not what the focus of what this podcast should be. But with this announcement, I think it's just too big. We have to cover it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so again, I mean, I wrote something about uh, kind of the the trade wars impact on on technology, and you know, I think that it's it's kind of the best way to interpret what's happening specifically with Huawei, uh, but then kind of in a broader context is that you know this is an extremely complicated game. You know, maybe it's a game of chess, maybe it's a game of go, maybe it's a game of risk or or whatever, but I think that if you kind of view it in that sense where this is a a very complicated and and complex and big game that uh that that both sides are are playing and Huawei and Apple and you know all these different regulations, uh the arrest of Meng Wanzhou, all of these different things, you know, uh, Xi Jinping going to visit, you know, a rare earths mine and things like that. Like all of these are different pieces in the game that 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 these two countries are playing against each other. Now the question is, you know, what kind of game do they see it as? Is it a zero-sum game where there can only be one winner? Or is it a game where there is going to be one who comes out better and one who comes out worse? Not so much winner or loser, but you know, that, that, that one definitely does kind of come out on top. Or is it a game where, where they're just trying to you know, maintain parity or maintain some kind of equality? You know, I watched this great documentary over the weekend uh, by Frontline called uh, Trump's uh, Trade War. Uh, so to be honest, I'm not, a, I'm not such a huge fan of American media. I'll just put that out there. I think that they get the China story wrong more often than not. And and especially these days, a lot of a lot of media are are biased towards Donald. Uh, excuse me, biased against Donald Trump, which I think does a disservice to the public. But in in this specific documentary, which I'll link in the show notes, I think they do a really really good job of comprehensively describing what's going on, what's at stake, and what. You know, the Trump White House is kind of thinking about some of this stuff. They, it includes interviews with Stephen Bannon, who used to be a Trump advisor, Eric Cohn, who used to be a Trump advisor, Bill Bishop, you know, the, the China watcher of China, China watchers. Uh, I want to say a former, a former U.S. ambassador to China. I can't remember his name, but they do, I think they do a really, really good job of exploring this issue. And, you know, I think that that's kind of important to remember is that Huawei is kind of at the center of a lot of these things because you know, I mean, telecommunications is, is, is a sensitive area. If telecommunications equipment is allowed in certain areas and if there is suspicion of, of spying, well, that's, that's a good place for it to happen. And also, I think, you know, if you look at the way that China treats issues of national security, especially around technology, you know, one of the reasons that, uh, that Uber, 
exited China, not the only, but one of the reasons, is that the Chinese government was not going to allow a foreign player to own a significant portion of the transportation market because of security reasons and national interest reasons. And I think the U.S. is taking a very similar point when it comes to telecommunications, where the you know allowing a foreign, possibly hostile player or country to own critical infrastructure or to have to have significant influence over critical infrastructure is not is not good for the country. Whether or not that actually is the case, whether or not Huawei, you know, is beholden to the Chinese government or spying for the Chinese government or whatever, I don't know. The U.S., you know, federal officials have basically said that they don't need to release any evidence. So it's quite possible that we'll never know. It's also quite possible that this could be the whole yellow cake situation that we saw with with Iraq, where you know Saddam Hussein basically never had the weapons that uh, that the, that the Bush White House said that he did. So I think that you know we kind of look at it, at it in that context, and yes, it is like things are definitely ramping up, and it's really really difficult to to see you know how this is all going to play out. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, parallel you're drawing there of the Iraq conflict because. You know, you have to do things. There are elements of this. You think back to the Bloomberg article about the microchip that turned out to be, uh, at least as of today, there seems to be no explanation for this <laughs> yet. Yeah, and debunked by you know cybersecurity professionals. And Bloomberg has not retracted that story, and it's there's really been really uh, very little follow up on it. Right, that was so strange, and even today, it's a mystery of what actually happened there. But it's indicative of like that China, there seems to be a lot of misinformation and there seems to be this sort of general fear around Huawei and China. And it seems it's very almost impossible for Huawei to disprove these claims that are being made against them, that there's backdoors in their software, that they're owned by the government, that they, they will, you know, ultimately they're a, a tool of the of the Chinese Communist Party. You know, it's almost impossible for them to disprove this. And there might be elements, I'm sure there are elements of truth within uh, these arguments being made against them. But the area is quite murky. And I do feel also that things are being exaggerated. And we, and we, and we see this with Chinese you know, credit scoring systems <laughs> and now with Huawei. And there's, there's a lot of seemingly scaremongering going on around China globally when we talk about especially technology and that's that's sad to see but not altogether you know uh, unique the, the example you gave of you know um, weapons of mass destruction in yeah. in Iraq is actually quite 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 a good example here of how just the fear of something can often be enough to, for you know that perception to affect reality yeah and it seems we are in a prisoner's dilemma, as it were, in terms of trust between the mm, U.S. Mm. and uh, and China. And it's likely that both sides will opt for an option, which, you know, the default being not to trust the other side, and that will have implications of uh, decoupling the entire, uh, you know, potentially. Well, what we're seeing, this is why it's. To, I think today's, you know, podcast we're we're, we're planting a flag. In the ground here, I think that today, you know, we've come to realize that there is very serious implications, and this could be, this could, we we don't know for sure, this could be the beginning of a complete decoupling of the tech ecosystems between uh, China and the West. 
Yeah, and I, I certainly hope not. I think that would be really, really bad for for both sides. You know, in 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 the newsletter, I make an argument about. I think that that one of the one of the problems that the U.S. has had uh, for quite some time, and the Frontline documentary makes this makes this point very, very clear, is that you know the U.S. government has prioritized business interests for a long, long time over let's say, uh, political interests in, in China. And I think a lot of countries have done that with, with China. They've, they're, they're, they've been pretty willing to make concessions to the Chinese government and to the Chinese system for the sake of market access that they would not do with, with countries uh, of smaller economic size and, uh, and speed of growth. And so I think that what we're seeing now is just, is just kind of, well, the U.S. is now deciding that this is now the time to grapple with some of these issues. And so not really listening to the business community, because the business community on both sides is like, what the hell is going on? Uh, and especially, you know, in the Valley, you know, Chinese money has been super important, you know, for, for at least the last, the last five years. And that money is drying up. And so investors uh, are, are there what once was a pretty decent bet on on a on an exit on a company is now you know like those those exit opportunities are are dwindling but you know it's 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 really really complicated and my my own opinion on this i think is is a bit difficult to describe in a in a concise way but i do think that you have to remember that china has a certain idea about the world and about its place in the world and about what it needs to take that place in the world, as well as what's going to happen after it takes that place in the world. That, that idea is the fundamental assumptions of that idea are different and almost incomprehensible to people who have grown up with Western values. Uh, and so I think that, 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 that people who, you know, business people, uh, especially in the West, who think they understand China, honestly, I don't think they do. And so, you know, this is, this is um, a monumental conflict in a certain sense. It's not just a conflict between a rising power and a declining power. It's also a conflict between two very, very different ways of looking at the world. And I think that we have to remember that. And we have to remember that because it's extremely complicated and it's not going to be solved overnight. And it, it might not even be solved in our lifetime because that's, that's how, how big it really is. But at the end of the day, you know, you cannot, unless, you know, China's economy completely implodes, unless, you know, something happens that completely derails them from the current path, the current trajectory that they're on. I mean, there's no way that China is not going to be more economically powerful than the United States. I mean, hands down. There's more people. There's 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 a lot more uh, space to grow. I mean, even even these days, you see in tier one cities, basically living standards are almost the same as what you see in developed countries. Whereas in rural areas, it's really really bad. It's more po- it's more poor than some of the poorest areas in in the United States, for example. Mm. So you know, you bring all those people into the economy, you raise their the GDP per capita of those people, and I mean, come on, like there's just there's just no competition. Well, well, Matt, I think, think that's about all the time we want to spend on, on this specific topic. I think that it's, it's, it's one of those things, I mean, we'll, we'll see, I think, in the next maybe a week or so, whether or not, you know, some of our, some of our ideas prove true. And, you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a very, very uh, confusing and difficult time to see how, it, how it's actually going to play out. Yeah, hopefully we'll look back on this episode in a year's time and things will be uh, 
I'm sure things will be very, very different. Yeah. yeah, so a short episode today and, like I say, just a hot take because we really feel that there's something important happening and hopefully we'll be able to look back. You know, we just want to report from while this is happening, you know, currently breaking, it's breaking news, what's this going on, and uh, hopefully things will calm down, but we'll have to see where this goes. Definitely. And uh, if you're in Shanghai on May 23rd, come down. We've got Emerge uh, going on the first annual one. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. I'll include that in the show notes. Mm-hmm.